2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. National average twelve-month savings of seven hundred forty-four dollars by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June twenty twenty-two and May twenty twenty-three. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
0: This is you, everyone. It's yours. <laughs>
2: To Tonga Valoa giving his mother a new vehicle for Mother's Day. Hasn't signed his contract yet, but I think he'll be okay. So I think he'll, he'll be able good. to afford it. I think he probably—he won't Where have to going? finance that <laughs> oh, no. one for the next 48 months. I think he'll be good to go with the Escalade that he. Per- oh, look at the dogs there—a couple of good boys and/or good girls frolicking in the yard on Mother's Day. Hope everybody had a That's great awesome. Mother's Day. A different, different kind of year, different kind of experience, you know, and. It's it's strange because as we adjust to this reality of life in the pandemic, it's also important not to let our guards down too much because the virus is still out there. And again, we don't want to turn this into a political show, a news show, uh, an epidemiological show. But we just hope everybody continues to be on guard uh, because, you know, it's human nature. You get numb to things. You get used to things. Let's not get so used to this that we get soft in our approach to keeping ourselves healthy. We want everyone to stay healthy, Chris, as long as possible. And I've seen some things that make me think that not everyone is as vigilant as they need to be as we continue to try to contain the spread of this virus.
3: Well, no, they're not. You know, I mean, yes. Is the country, you know, perfect right now with our approach uh, across the board? No, it's not. I mean, there's, you know, different sets of rules and laws and guidelines that people are, are kind of following state by state. Uh, I do want to say that I think people need to slowly let's break down some, you know, little barriers, baby steps here and there, make calculated, smart decisions. You know, like I said, I saw my mom and dad last weekend. I made that decision after talking to them and knowing that they had not spent time with people or been out there. So we weren't going to endanger them. They weren't going to endanger us. You know, those are the things we need to do, but we don't need to, like, just go to the bar and hang out together. And like, oh, let's get let's get 90 of us in here and, you know, cheers every time we get a beer and hug each other. and Like, hey, good to see you. No, that's where we got to draw the line and be smart here and just not, you know, jump into the pool uh, too quickly here.
2: Big Cat has a very basic and very selfish approach to all of this. Any behaviors that potentially jeopardize the start of football season are behaviors that he objects to. And anyone who is doing anything that could in any way prevent football from beginning when it's supposed to begin, they are on the naughty list as far as Big Cat is concerned. And we are moving toward football season. Although it's still several months away, it's an eternity as far as this virus is concerned. Check out Football Morning in America for Peter King's interview with Dr. Anthony Fauci on some of the realities here. But... The schedule was released on Thursday night. The 256 games are out there. They may not be set in stone because the NFL has acknowledged there's plenty of flexibility so they can adjust as needed, but the games are there. It feels tangible. It feels real. Even if it ultimately gets changed, we have something that we can point to and say, there's a light At the end of this tunnel, there's something out there in the distance for us to look forward to, Chris. And for me, even knowing that there's a chance that these games are going to be reconfigured based upon whatever is going on with the pandemic come September, there was something comforting about seeing the games announced in the same configuration they always are.
3: Yeah, I mean, yes. You know, again, I think we're starving for the content and You know, anything that's just real at this point, but it is encouraging. And I I think it's been a really encouraging last two, three weeks as far as the NFL is concerned, as far as being good leaders, starting to show us that they have really thought out their their process here going forward and what they want to do with the COVID-19 protocols. And they're going to give it their best shot. And I know they will because I know these 32 owners are, first off, rich as hell, powerful as hell. They want this to go on because, hey, us, they're heavily invested. But I also think the NFL sees a little bit of like a, a call to duty of like, hey, we're the, we're the number one sport here in America. And I feel like, hey, it's the closest thing we can find to modern-day gladiators, the NFL football player. And I feel like the NFL is kind of taking pride in going, hey, we're going to show the country and the rest of the world how to do this. Whether they can pull it off, I don't know. But they're making me believe to this point that they might be able to pull it off. There's still a lot of unknowns, but it just seems like it's going in the right direction, and I'm very hopeful.
2: Here's what they're doing. They are developing many different potential contingency plans to adjust to whatever the circumstances dictate, but they're not going to share them with us. There's no reason to tell us what they have ready behind door number two if they don't need to open door number two. But, Chris, simple things like you know, balancing the broader national pressure from fans, from politicians to play the games against some states where they may not let them play the games. And we've spent time talking about the possibility that the California teams could be playing in places other than their home stadiums. Chris, one thing I identified immediately after the schedule came out, your 49ers could share State Farm Stadium in glendale arizona with the cardinals the whole year long without a single conflict they never play on the same day and there are other things that can be done with minimal conflict the chargers and the raiders could could share a stadium in las vegas the rams could go to dallas and share a stadium with the cowboys there was even a report yesterday from the las vegas review journal suggesting that both the chargers and the rams could play in las vegas with the raiders if need be But that is the kind of thing that the NFL will be identifying as possibilities. It could change the schedule dramatically, but not affect the actual playing of the game. It affects where the game's going to be played, but the games still get played because they're going to be willing, if necessary, to double teams up or maybe even triple teams up in one stadium.
3: Well, you know, again, and that's, I'm interested to hear, you know, as we get in closer here, because again, just more things to give you confidence to go, all right, the NFL has thought this out the right way. Uh, I, I'm just interested to hear, you know, I, I'd love to get a gauge as far as from coaches or GMs where the owners are at in this whole thing and just how realistically they think they're going to be able to pull this whole thing off. That, that's, that's really where, you know, I, just, I question that. I think that's the last piece of the puzzle. I know you and I sit here and go, oh, it sounds like there's going to be an abundance of testing and things like that. But it also seems like we're still sitting here in the middle of May, and there's a lot of unknown, and we just don't know where this is going yet. I hope these 32 owners know something we don't. More times they, they do. Uh, but, but uh, again, I, I don't think anything can be possible here until we have such an abundance of testing to like what you said the first hour, Mike. I don't see how any of it can really go down until we have it in place to where every person or player that steps into a facility on a daily basis is getting tested every single day. Until that happens, we have no chance of a football season happening.
2: And, you know, before today, and part of the benefit of doing a show like this, where it isn't all scripted and planned out and rehearsed, your brain kind of opens up and you have ideas that maybe you wouldn't otherwise have. And it was the first time, as we were talking about it last hour, that it dawned on me You're not only going to have to test everyone who enters a facility, you're going to have to test everyone who exits the facility. That is your obligation to the public, right? The obligation to the team, to the organization, to keeping the virus out of the building is going to require that airlock concept where you enter a room and you take a test, and if you're negative, then you pass through into the facility. There's double doors there or two sets of doors one to get you into the testing area, the other to let you into the facility. They need to do the same thing on the way out, Chris, in the event that some way, somehow, somebody slipped through the cracks with a false negative test, right, or just through the progression of the virus in the hours that someone was there. They were negative on the way in. They're positive on the way out. We need maximum information. Before we set these people loose on their community, we need to make sure they're negative again. And if they're not, we need to put them directly into quarantine and we need to take care of the situation. So that's two tests per day. Every time you show up at an NFL workplace, you get tested on the way in, you get tested on the way out every day, not two a week, two a day. And and if they're as prevalent as the NFL believes they'll be by August or September, it's no big deal. They can do that.
3: Well, yeah, it, it's 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 no big deal. I mean, man, I, I just – I wonder what the price tag is going to be for all these tests and everything like that. Listen, I know it's going to be well worth they it. Can it. Uh, they can afford it. They can afford it. You're right. I know whatever they can it afford is, it. Whatever
2: it is, they can afford it.
3: But, you know, again, I, I think the biggest thing there, too, is we better hope as a league – and I say that we because we follow this league and, and do a TV show – we just better hope as a league that there is – clearly in abundance for the rest of the general public because if it starts there will to be. look like there will be. okay all right well they're, they're just, not gonna hog the test that that's okay. their,
2: that's their vision i'm not sitting here saying that i know for a fact that there will be right i'm sitting that's here saying thought. that i know that the nfl is confident that there will be they could be wrong wouldn't be the first time they've been wrong about something right we all get things wrong from time to time but the stakes are sufficiently high in this case to give the nfl every reason to get it right and the nfl believes that the tests will be everywhere. I think it was on Friday, somewhere, somehow. I forget where I talk about these things. But, you know, it's going to be like having a box of Band-Aids in your house, I think, where you've got a box of tests. And it's going to be that simple by the time we get to August or September, that it's not this cumbersome process of having the alien probe shoved up your nose all the way to the back of your brain, that it's basically a mouth swab or it's a a finger prick. And it's going to be a simple process. And you may be able to just administer it on yourself. And get, you know, like a home pregnancy test. As a threshold matter, am I negative? Am I positive? But I think when we get to team facilities, there will be something slightly more elaborate and more official to make sure that people are negative on the way in. But I also think it's going to be critical critical to make sure people are negative on the way out. One of the things that stood out to me on the schedule, Chris, and I have an important question for you. This is, yeah. this is and you know, we, we spent time a week or so ago trying to figure out time zones and in uh, the UK, and this is kind of a time zone, kind of a time of day question. I have this for you. On December 25, when the Vikings and the Saints play on that Friday, a very rare Friday game, first one in 10 or 11 years that the NFL is staging, Christmas Day, 3.30 p.m. Central start, Vikings Saints. Does that count as prime time if you kick off at 3.30 p.m.? (laughs) Local time. <laughs> is that prime time uh no i don't think that's officially prime time all right now now yep you're good
3: now it is prime time in the fact that it's the only game on tv and we'll all be watching so i don't know which one do you gauge is more important there that it's the only game on time on, on, you know on tv or the time factor which one do you view as more of the prime time issue
2: well, given that the two teams played in the same stadium in January, not in prime time, but at a time when everyone was watching and the Vikings found a way to win the game, that's good news for the Vikings. It doesn't count as a prime time game. And Chris, on that, here's what's weird about last year's schedule versus this year's schedule. And maybe the schedule makers know more than we give them credit for. But the Vikings coming off of a season where they didn't make it to the playoffs had five primetime games. This year, they make it to the final eight, and they've got two primetime games. And I'm assuming the Vikings are happy about only having two primetime games and, you know, asterisk a third one if you count the the Saints game on, on Christmas Day. But, uh, you know, I just wonder how much predictive analysis goes into what they do Whoa. when making the schedule like yes. the Vikings every other year under Mike Zimmer don't make the playoffs so this um, is a year they shouldn't make the playoffs so hey we're only giving them two primetime games because history tells us they're not going to be very good this year like listen I don't want to sit here and run through it but Mike I listen this is where
3: when we talked about like if I had any big thoughts you know reading the commercial Mike goes "Do you got any big thoughts about the schedule my number one thing is very similar to what you just wrote you know, are said, when I sit here and look at the schedule of all 32 teams, I don't know, Mike, you check it out. To me, it looks like a lot of the playoff teams or the upper echelon teams as we view them from 2019 are playing each other early on in the season. And the teams who miss kind of the fringe of the playoffs, you know, whether it be the Broncos or, you know, the Bears, the Falcons have favorable, easy schedules. Not to sit here, the Arizona Cardinals, not to sit here and say everything's easy, but I look at it and go, I didn't find a lot of non-playoff teams where I went, whoa, that's some daunting start there. Now, I found a lot of teams that were in the playoffs, whether it's the Houston Texans, the Chiefs, uh, the New England Patriots. There's a few other that jump out jump out to mind where I go, wow, are they front loaded? To me, it almost seemed like is the NFL trying to tip the scales a little bit and go, hey, let's give some of these lesser teams a chance to – have some good records early on in the season and build some confidence to so maybe we can get some more turnover. So I, I don't know, but that's just something that jumped out to me through looking through all these schedules.
2: I mean, that's a great point. And the NFL wants that turnover. The NFL loves that turnover. The NFL loves to be able to say half of the playoff teams from one year don't make it back the next year. I think they would love even more turnover than that. They want every team. To feel like, and more importantly, the fan bases of those teams, to feel like there is a reasonable chance that our team is going to get to the playoffs this year, and they also want every team that gets to the playoffs to have a reasonable chance or at least a plausible belief that they could make it to the Super Bowl. And that is what keeps fan bases engaged. That is what Pete Rozelle hated about football in the 70s because it was the Dolphins and the Steelers, and the Raiders, and the Cowboys, and everybody else, who cares? Well, other than the Vikings who got to the Super Bowl four times and lost each one. But, uh, you know, there were a lot of teams that had no chance. There were a lot of teams that were just bad and bad and bad and could never get out of that cycle, especially without free agency. They want this revolving door. They want every year to be its own entity, and they want every team to have a real shot. And you know what? Maybe there is some loading up the front end of the schedule, good teams against good teams good teams from last year against good teams from last year. So they thin out and it gives an opportunity. If you have bad teams versus bad teams, somebody's winning those games. And then all of a sudden, Hey, that's a good team. It reminds me of the Rams in 1999, the Rams in 1999. If you go back and look at the schedule that they played in light of where those teams were that year, it was not a very difficult schedule, but the next thing you know, it's working and it's clicking and they're building confidence and it's the greatest show on turf. And right. here they are. And I, the NFL, want they want these teams to come out of nowhere and capture our imagination and be good, even if it's just for one year. And they probably prefer it to be one year because next year they want it to be somebody else, Chris. Well, no, I, I, I totally agree. And, you know, come on, we've had this
3: conversation a, a bunch of times. You know, again, the early season, the success, the failures, they really – you know, extends itself to how you feel in the middle of the season, later on in the season. Man, when I was in Tampa Bay, if we got off to an 0-1 or 0-2 start, I mean, there was more pressure in the building on those weeks than there was if we were getting ready to play a playoff football game. There was, because, you know, once you go 0-3, you're going, oh, crap. I mean, we're in trouble. The season might be over right here. We're going to have a hard time coming back from this, or we're going to have to rip off, you know, an unbelievable amount of wins to get back into the race which is always hard to do in the NFL too. So it really dictates a lot. And, and, you know, that's just the one thing that jumped out to me. Not that it was foolproof. Cause like a team like the 49ers got a f- pretty favorable start. The jets for the second year in a row, Mike, I look at them and want to go, man, who did they piss off in the NFL? Because they got all just a brutal start of the season. Once again, to where, you know, we saw what they did last year, getting off to the slow start, but All in all, I just felt like a lot of last year's playoff teams were playing each other early on in this year, uh, and maybe there was a conscious effort to get a little more turnover. I could be wrong, but it just seemed like that to me, just looking at it all.
2: Good point. Good stuff. Let's take a quick break. When we return, we know that pass interference replay review is dead how will the nfl avoid another Rams saints debacle if replay review is not an option we'll discuss that next right here on pro football talk live rich mckay the chair of the competition committee a board that you're a member of has said that there definitely won't be replay review of pass interference this year do we know or do we have an idea of what will take its place. Will there be anything to prevent another Rams Saints NFC Championship game outcome or will it just be rely on the referee and the rest of the officiating crew to get it right when there is or isn't pass interference.
3: There's options that we're going to be reviewing. I don't think because of uh, you know this unprecedented uh, situation where we're not able to meet and spend the time the competition usually does on all the unintended consequences that come with solutions. Uh, we really built a lot of things uh, this year uh, because what we don't want to do is make a decision that does have unintended consequences that aren't in the best interest of the game. We know we got a great game. I don't do anything, uh, you know, that hadn't been well thought out.
2: Stephen Jones, not just a Cowboys executive, but a member of the competition committee, Chris, the group that will be devising something for the owners to consider as the alternative to replay review for pass interference. It's dead. It's gone. It's not even going to be presented as an option. It was a one-year and one-year-only experiment, but they need something. Otherwise, we are setting the stage for another Rams-Saints debacle where there is an egregious instance of pass interference that happens in plain sight that is missed – by the seven folks in black and white stripes who are charged with the task of catching it when it happens. Now, Steven Jones said they have options. Now, and the biggest option is sky judge, but I've never gotten the impression they want to they want to spend the scratch necessary for sky no. judge or they also and they, and also, it's not just a matter of being extremely careful with money, it's a matter of being sure that your 17 sky judges all will have the same standard for when to intervene when to supersede, when to make opinions known to the officials on the field that something was missed based on what we see in the camera angles that are broadcast to the same TV screens that the rest of us have at home. So there's no easy solution here. They need to avoid what happened in the Rams-Saints game. And I don't know what the most efficient solution would be because, as Stephen Jones said, all of these possibilities have unintended consequences, and we saw the unintended consequences last year of having replay review available for pass interference, Chris.
3: Yeah, well, all right, so first off, I mean, let's not forget, this was a one-time thing we saw in 53 years in the NFL. It's not, we, we can't really come up with too many, whoa, that was totally egregious, how could you do that type moments, how could you miss that in a big moment of the football game? No, this was wrong, I get it. I will say, I'm glad the pass interference replay is dead. Thank God. I mean, it's a disaster. It's horrible for the sport. It was a bad look. You know, first off, it messed up the football games as a viewer. Just the way it was slowed down, you didn't know what to expect. Wait, that looks like pass interference. That doesn't. We could never agree watching the games at NBC. You know, it didn't seem like the NFL ever knew what the hell to call either at times. It was a little inconsistent that way. You know, you had coaches wasting challenges because, oh, hey, I'm a coach and I've been a head coach for 20 years. That looks like fast interference. I'm going to throw the challenge flag. What? It's not. Oh, now you've lost the challenge flag and a timeout and that's going to hurt your you know, ability to manage the football game from that standpoint. So I think there was more negatives than positives. But with saying all that, Mike, I do agree with you. They got to have something. Whether that's, you know, again, like the, the big red button back at 345 that they can hit on when there's a danger. Or, you know, can you watch all those moments and really react to them real time if there's all these games going on? And that's where I think your sky judge comes into play to where like, okay, Al Riveron's trying to watch everything. If one of these egregious plays happened and maybe he's in the middle of a review somewhere else – you know, Sky Judge can hey, bzz, bzz, red alert, red alert, Al Riveron, red alert, red alert. We have a play. We need you to. We might need you to get in and tell the refs to drop a flag or do whatever. There does need to be something like that. I, I do think to protect the NFL here.
2: I think the concept is very simple, and I have said this time and again. The NFL's biggest problem from an officiating standpoint is the gap that exists between what seven people who are on the field amid the gladiators with no protection of any kind, where the primary goal is to not get trampled. And the naked eye does not process the information the way that it could or should, because these guys can move quickly. And when you're trying not to get trampled, it makes it even harder to spot exactly what it is you're seeing. If you have someone in that booth who is the fan see bridging the gap between what those seven people see in an imperfect setting versus what we see at home in an ideal setting 4K HD super size slow mo we all see it the gap between what we all see and what they see on the field gets bridged by getting chris and this is very simple i think you pay the money for the salary but all these guys who are going off to work for networks like like uh, Terry McCall, Mike Pereira and yeah. Mike Pereira and, and Dean Blandino doesn't count because he was never on field. Uh, who's the guy? Gene Steratore. All the guys who leave to go get a better payday and lesser accountability with the networks that can be the guy ad hocally, right? You get to a point where you need to retire because you're physically unable to keep up with the gladiators anymore. 65, 70, whatever the case may be, but you still have a sharp brain and you still have the ability to look at a TV and see what you see. Those folks who know the rule books inside and out, they're the surrogates for the fans who are sitting at home saying, what the hell are these officials thinking? That's the way to do it. And there should be 17 of those folks available in any given year who they can pay to fill this job it's almost like the the ombudsman for the fan the person who is there who knows the rule book who sees what the fan sees that's how you meld the two together and get to a point where we avoid these outcomes it's that simple chris it won't be cheap but it is that simple
3: well maybe it's something we just have for playoff football Maybe, maybe that's really where it should count. Because to me, that's where one of the issues lies within our officiating in the NFL anyways. You know, in playoff football, we have seen a very consistent thing happen, I want to say, for the last six or seven years. Where in playoff football, the games are just not as officiated as much as the regular season games. Now, I understand, you know, we have the best of the best referees in the playoffs. And the teams are better and all of that. But... You know, I'm a guy like, you know, we make fun of all time. I'm Ron Jaworski and I watch the film. All right. I don't care if the teams are better or not. When I turn on the film and playoff football, there is a a lot more latitude given towards secondary and pass interference and holding and just the physical nature of the sport. Like Jadeveon Clowney's hit to Carson Wentz. If that's week seven in the regular season, I think it gets called. I think in the playoffs, referees are afraid to get involved in those type of situations. And they back off. I think that's what happened in the Saints-Rams game. I think that's really all it was. You see the referee in the back, first off, grabbing his flag. I think he's going, wait, do I really want to determine who goes to the Super Bowl here with me throwing my flag? Also, I think to the added fact where he goes, he probably was shocked because he was like, wait, Nicole Roby Coleman should have caught that and ran for a pick six if he just looked up. It was such a (laughs) weird play altogether. But... Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if you can. Can you pull it off at all all regular season, all those weeks? Is it just a playoff thing? But they need to have somebody there to watch over it a little bit.
2: I think you have to do it in the regular season because you don't want the folks who serve as sky judge to be starting from scratch in the wild card round. And you want to you you look and, and and to make it even better for the playoffs, you have people do it all season long and then you grade them, you judge them, you judge the sky judges, and the best of the best end up getting the playoff assignments just like they do with the officials. So I think it needs to be every game, preseason, regular season, so it's perfected by the time we get to the postseason, and we know who the best are, right? we got to take a break. When we return, Deshaun Watson says the Chicago Bears never talked to him at all before the 2017 draft, unless, of course, they did. We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson reacting to some chatter on Friday regarding the Bears' evaluation of quarterbacks in 2017. Points out, the Bears never once talked to me. Never once, all caps. That's Deshaun Watson saying that. The Bears never once talked to me. Well, never let facts get in the way of a good story because here we are. Uh, Back in 2017, Deshaun Watson said he spoke to the Bears. Ravens chargers on the phone. It's also my understanding. They talked to him at the scouting combine. They did talk to him. They did evaluate him. And I'm not saying Deshaun Watson is deliberately misremembering. Look, there are all sorts of reasons why we recall events a certain way. The human mind is imperfect. Sometimes it's just to bolster a desire to go out there and push yourself to a higher level, right? If you constantly use the fact that the bears took a quarterback other than you and their quarterback stinks, and you ended up being good to motivate you to be the best player you can be, so be it. People find motivation and things like that all the time. Chris, this one is Definitely. just strange. It's unusual, and it, it's, it's 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 strange to see Deshaun Watson do anything in all caps. He doesn't seem like an all caps kind of guy. He seems very low-key, very even-keeled. That's what surprised me about this more than anything. More than him being factually wrong three years later, which happens, the fact that he's riled up about it, he doesn't seem like a guy who gets riled up about anything. Well,
3: you know, when Dabo Sweeney says, though, he's like a Michael Jordan, that tells you he's got to be some edge to him, certainly. And that winning is important or, you know, feeling slighted certainly can motivate him. I'm with you, though. Like, Deshaun Watson is, you know, I, I mean, I, this is the first time I feel like we've caught him in a little bit of a BS trap, right? Just a little bit. He's never been one to want attention to himself or anything like that. He's one of my favorite players to watch in all of football. He's amazing that way. But, yeah, I think this is a simple case of an athlete- just looking for anything to kind of piss themselves off, give them a little chip on their shoulder uh, just to motivate them. And that's very understandable. That's what does happen. You know, also, you know, I, I think he probably embellished because I do know the bears were doing their due diligence to Deshaun Watson. The one thing I don't know if the bears did to where I bet you Deshaun Watson feels a little cheated is I don't know if they went down and visited Deshaun Watson, did things like that, had a private workout, that I'm pretty sure they did not. And I think probably from that aspect and the fact that, whoa, they took a guy, Mitchell Trubisky, where, you know, I performed in that same conference at a way higher level for years and years. Uh, and Trubisky just is kind of a one-hit wonder in college football. Yeah, I mean, he's probably just feels cheated and pissed off about that in general.
2: There are people out there who wonder whether or not Deshaun Watson will be the quarterback in Houston for the remainder of his career or more importantly for that second contract. And when you see guys like DeAndre Hopkins get traded, you know, I don't know. Until Deshaun Watson signs a second contract, I'm not going to assume that he wants to stay because, look, Chris, if the starting quarterback's not all in, if the starting quarterback wants out, you got a problem. you got to accommodate him because uh, the, your guy who shows up early and stays late and serves as the the coach. Who also plays, who holds teammates accountable and does all the right things, if he doesn't want to be there, you got a problem. And I'm not saying he doesn't. There have been flashes, there've been questions. There was some stuff in the aftermath of the Hopkins trade that made me think, what's up here with Deshaun Watson? And when we see him peel back a little bit and show us that there is a, a fire that is raging below that very serene surface, I'm not ruling out the possibility he ends up somewhere else. Are you?
3: Well, I I think it's unlikely. You know I I just have a hard time you know one you know he's already kind of made an imprint on the city of Houston he's he's the biggest star in town I mean yeah I know they got James Harden there and everything for the NBA and basketball and all that but Texas is a football state Houston's a football city and Deshaun Watson is a star I just have a hard time thinking that he won't be there you know and Mike you know again I know the Hopkins things happen but You know they're doing their best down there to put talent around him. Again, he's got three good receivers around him. They're improving their offensive line. They got David Johnson in there. They're making it about Deshaun Watson and his ability to be the quarterback and be successful and carry the team through the offensive side of the ball, a little like we see Mahomes do with Kansas City. So I have a hard time thinking that he'd go somewhere else. I I, I do. I just think he's, you know, these type of marriages don't happen often. Houston have to be crazy to let him out of the building and. You know, he started something special there. What? What do you want to say?
2: If they should reach an impasse at some point in their contract negotiations between now and the point at which the franchise tag would be applied, the Chicago Bears could always make an offer, right? They could put this debate to rest once and for all. A couple of first-round draft picks, maybe something more for Deshaun Watson. If Jalen Ramsey is worth two ones and a four, Deshaun Watson is worth at least that much. we are got to take a break. We're going to look at the best revenge games of the 2020 season draft style when pft live continues right after this
1: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mc Crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this
0: juicy gem of a detour.
2: All right, we now know when the games will be played in 2020. We can take a look at the revenge games. And revenge is something that can be interpreted very broadly, Chris Sims. Players versus Players, teams versus teams, players versus teams, coaches versus coaches, whatever the case may be. Trivia question goes to you. If you get it right, you get the first pick. Odell Beckham Jr.'s 1,450 receiving yards in 2015 are the second highest season total in Giants history. And, of course, Beckham gets his first crack at the Giants by way of revenge this year. Who holds the Giants franchise record single season with 1,536 receiving yards?
3: Wow. Gosh, I'm not going to say Plexico Burras.
2: I, Do you want to hint? No, no, I don't.
3: I'm right. not even going to take the hint. I'm going to say it's – I'm going to go with Steve Smith.
2: And Victor Cruz. Ah, oh, damn. 2011, Victor Cruz. Wow. Here they won the Super Bowl. Yeah. All that right. was a special well, year. Uh, uh, look, I, this one, sometimes you got to pluck the low-hanging fruit. Jimmy Garoppolo, 49ers quarterback. Taken on the team that traded him away, the team that could have made him the new quarterback, could have gone with him instead of Tom Brady, could have traded Tom Brady to the 49ers back in 2017 and trusted the younger option. Instead, they cast Jimmy Garoppolo off into the wilderness with the San Francisco 49ers. He's been paid handsomely, probably more than he would have been paid by the Patriots. But don't let that get in the way of a good story either. Garoppolo facing the team that traded him away. 49ers-Patriots, best revenge game of the year, Chris.
3: Well, it, it's definitely good. There's no doubt about that. I mean, there's going to be something a little extra added into that, let alone like, you know, I think Jarrett Stidham's going to want to show people that, hey, he's the better replacement to Brady than Jimmy Garoppolo was. But uh, I'm with you. You know, that's there's going to be – there's a little history between these two football teams. And I think, yes, you know, with Jimmy Garoppolo going to New England week seven, uh, he'll certainly want to stick it to the team for trading them away and, and show that he started a new – winning era there with the San Francisco 49ers. So good pick by you. Uh, I'm going to go more of the, the, the team thing here first off. And I mean, what better revenge, you know, for a saint to get revenge on Christmas day, right? I mean, saints can't lose on Christmas day and they play the Minnesota Vikings. Yes. Their chance to get revenge of gosh, two out of the last three years, you know, really losing to the Minnesota Vikings in heartbreaking fashion in the playoffs. I mean, we know, the you know, the the Minneapolis miracle. But last year, certainly a controversial game with the, was it pass interference? Was it not with, uh, you know, uh, who was the tight end in the end zone there? I'm blanking out his Rudolph. name. Kyle Rudolph, Kyle sorry. Rudolph. You know, wh- whether that was P.I. or not, and the Saints at crashing their season to an end, uh, to me, that's one I look at, that revenge game there and uh, we. What, what what is that? Week sixteen Christmas Day should be pretty damn good?
2: Yeah, I mean, the only flaw in your argument is that they already got revenge for the Minneapolis Miracle because they went back to Minnesota and beat them the following regular season on a Sunday night. So it's not full revenge for all past transgressions. They already got partial revenge, but at least as it relates to last year's playoffs, it's in the same place, just like the two thousand and eighteen game was in the same place as the postseason game. This one's in the same place. I wish it was earlier in the year. It would have a little more of that revenge yeah, feel, too, it if it was earlier be. in the year in the same place getting together again. But, I look, it was on my list. I can't, I can't lie about that. All right, uh, next one for me comes week six, October 18, when the Cleveland Browns travel to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers, and Miles Garrett is in uniform, and Miles Garrett gets a proper welcome by the folks in Pittsburgh who didn't get to see him last year because he was suspended for six games for cold cocking Mason Rudolph in the head with his own helmet. And I don't know who the revenge is. It's just like all of Pittsburgh versus Miles Garrett because Mason Rudolph, if he's playing in that game, the Steelers are going to have bigger things to worry about than getting revenge on Miles Garrett. And I am not advising or suggesting or inciting any type of of violence above and beyond what the rules call for. I'm talking about the whole experience for Miles Garrett is going to be unpleasant. From the moment he walks out of the tunnel and from the moment he faces some of those Steelers players who are still salty about what happened last year, Uh, it's early enough in the year that I think it's still relevant. Miles Garrett versus the entire city of Pittsburgh and the entire Steelers organization. That one should be fun to watch, Chris.
3: Yes, it definitely should be. Uh, There's no doubt. I mean, that's going to be... The refs better be on their Ps and Qs that day because it, it's there's, there's going to be intensity in the air on the field in the crowd everything about it. Uh, people people in Pittsburgh are going to want Miles Garrett to pay. I, I mean, I understand that certainly, uh, but Miles Garrett, one of the best defensive players in all of football, certainly uh, certainly will have his say in the matter at some point. All right, I'm going to go think here. How
2: much worse? Just hang on a second. Think how much worse it would have been for Miles Garrett if he had done what he did to Ben Roethlisberger? Like, I'm not saying they don't care about Mason Rudolph in Pittsburgh, but they don't care about Mason Rudolph in Pittsburgh. What if they had done that to Ben? Can you imagine how much worse it would have been, how much bigger of a deal it would be? It's still a huge deal. Anyway, I just had to interject that. Go ahead. No,
3: it would have been a way bigger deal, though. I mean, when you start getting into the franchise quarterback conversation, they get treated differently. I mean, we know that. And, yeah, Big Ben is one of those quarterbacks that's put into that category of, like, you know, historic figure in the history of the NFL. And it would have been a way bigger story of that was Big Ben getting bashed over the head uh, as compared to Mason Rudolph. I'm with you there. All right. I mean, I'm going with this more of like a statement a little bit, but like still revenge, maybe not quite to the way we want it, right? But the Ravens Chiefs week three to me is a big one where I look at first off, the Ravens are trying to be the kings of the AFC. All right. They've lost to the chiefs the last two years. They certainly don't seem like they match up well with them. I just look at that as someone as like a semi revenge semi. If you want to prove to everybody in the AFC world or the NFL world, that's watching, you're going to need to beat the Kansas city chiefs at some point. And, you know, the Ravens are flirting with that, you know, like you've said many times, man, are they going to win a playoff game with Lamar Jackson you know the Kansas City Chiefs are two and zero against them. Mahomes has Lamar Jackson's number. All of those things. I just look at that as a big game for the Ravens to basically say, okay, we can be, we can beat the Kansas City Chiefs. We can win a playoff tight atmosphere type of football game and answer some of those questions we have about them right now. You know, uh, so uh, there's nothing personal there, but I think they're two are the best teams in the AFC, clearly, and I just think there's a lot of, a lot on the line in that in that battle.
2: I thought you were going to go Titans-Ravens. That's a true revenge game, right? Titans at Ravens. They play. That's not my pick, but they play in November. It's a 1 o'clock Eastern game. I'm surprised. Yeah, it's a, a week, week game, 11. A 425 game. I guess it could get flexed into 425. It maybe the schedule makers don't expect the Titans to be very good this year. All right, the next one for me is week 9 Sunday night football on NBC, Saints and Buccaneers. Now, you say how is that revenge? Well, they yes. play how week 1. It? So, so the week 9 game, it's a little uh, in-season revenge. Oh, the week 9 game, we whoever go. loses, ah, it works, but you like it. You 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 refuse to admit it. You refuse to concede the point. But deep down, you know, there's appeal to this. Whoever loses the week one game is the guy, whether it's Drew Brees or Tom Brady, who gets his shot at revenge week nine primetime on NBC. It's a revenge game for which there's no need for revenge before the season starts. But there will be after the first weekend. Take that boom roasted. Wow. I
3: mean, that is just you talk about like moving the rules of the draft and all that. All these it's other a revenge picks. game.
2: It's a revenge game.
3: Who's getting revenge might, on who? Who's getting revenge on who? Whoever loses in week one. Oh, whoever loses well, we in don't know one. who yet. So we can disqualify we will. for the draft. By, Everybody, by week nine, it, the, we will. Nicole back there in the room just put whoever, okay, for his second <laughs> his third round pick, whoever. All right? That's all he deserves on there. He doesn't deserve a team with that bull crap. All right. How could I not go to week nine as well? Th- thank you. The, thank you for only saying bull crap, by the way. Thank you. I'm on a roll. Hey, week yeah. nine as well. I mean, come on. The Green Bay Packers, if you want me to take you seriously as a Super Bowl contender, you're going to have to show me you can put up a competitive football game in San Francisco. I mean, they got railroad, railroaded both times there last year. That, if that doesn't speak revenge to, one, getting your butt kicked on Monday Night Football, and then, two, getting your butt kicked in the NFC Championship game, Uh, That will be one of the ultimate revenge games of the year to see where Green Bay has come and can they really dethrone or challenge the top teams in the NFC like the San Francisco 49ers on the road and put up a better showing than what we saw last year.
2: Hey, and in the event that the pandemic requires the 49ers to not play their games in California, that's good news for the Packers because every time they went to California last year, they got stomped. They should not want to play any games in California if they can avoid it, and the pandemic may require it. And on that note, we're going to take a break. Peter King had a big interview in Football Morning in America talking to Dr. Anthony Fauci on how the pandemic may affect football season. We'll discuss that briefly when PFT Live continues right after this. Football Morning in America from Peter King, available now at profootballtalk.com. An interview with Dr. Anthony Fauci about the dynamics of the coronavirus and the nfl can they coexist can it work what will it take for football to be played and we all want football to be played people let me reiterate what i said earlier anyone who suggests on social media that we are rooting against football you will be blocked immediately without prejudice or with prejudice whichever is the bad one you will be blocked (laughs) but before that happens to you check out our twitter page and you will see the link to Peter King's Football Morning in America for the interview with Dr. Anthony Fauci and much, much more. When we return, Robert Kraft has put up a Super Bowl ring for charity auction and the price is already skyrocketing. More Pro Football Talk Live coming at you right after this. The all-in challenge for COVID-19 relief has created all sorts of intriguing and expensive opportunities for events and goods how about the super bowl 51 new england patriots championship ring with 283 diamonds coincidental selection of the number of diamonds 283 it is now available for far more than 283000 hopefully it sells for 2.83 million when it's all said and done again so and this is this is Robert Kraft's Super Bowl 51 ring. Started at 75,000, Chris. It's up to 330,000, and it was just posted yesterday.
3: I mean, it, it's pretty amazing. First off, I mean, that uh, I, I think 330,000 is a steal. I, I mean, I, I really mean that. If I had extra money and I was on the outside looking in and I was some billionaire or had tens of millions in the bank and things like that, whoa, that might be one I would seriously consider. I mean... That's Belichick and Brady, you know, becoming the greatest quarterback coach duo in the history of the sport. That was the year Brady had the deflate gate suspension. He comes back 28 to three Super Bowl MVP. I mean, I'm actually surprised at 330,000. I would think this goes up to like close to a million. What
2: if, if money was not an issue for you, what, what would be your limit? You're sitting in the room with the paddle. Right. You hold the paddles up and all that stuff. Open auction. What's your limit on how much you would pay for that thing? I I really think like
3: what you said there right away, like to me, I would have already blown the doors off. and just gone. here's two point eight three million dollars. I (laughs) won. See you later. Okay. so if I had anything north of like 50 million in the bank and I was a really big sports fan and my father wasn't Phil Simms to where I'd seen Super Bowl rings before. I think I'd throw out that $2.83 million right away for this one. That's a damn special and, sports artifact.
2: And let me tell you something. If Arthur Blank, the owner of the Atlanta Falcons, has a sense of humor, he clearly has the money— he should bid $2.83 $2. right now on that ring, right? Either him <laughs> or Vladimir Putin. And then burn, burn it. The other. Burn it and let it melt. <laughs> and melt it down. <laughs> Just say, yeah. Drop it they into didn't the fires happen. of Mount Doom with right. Smeagol, right. a.k.a. Gollum. Everybody have a great day. See you back here Tuesday. See <laughs>